I need to have bumper music, don't I? When I walk out, the, like the ball players kind of thing. Y'all don't? Okay, that's fine. Good to see you this morning. It's a beautiful spring morning in Gray, Georgia. It's good to see everybody. She did mention just a couple of things I want to reiterate real quick. The Couples for Christ Sunday School class is taking the Fort Jones County thing very seriously. They're going to be making cookies uh, to give out with invitations at the Easter egg hunt next week. And they're asking that if you would like to make a dozen cookies or so, if you could bring them before Friday, then package them up and use them. Uh, that would be cool if you could do that. Uh, on Good Friday from 7 to 8 p.m., Kim is going to be playing. I will be here to offer communion. And you can come and stay as long as you want. If you want to stay the whole hour and listen to Kim play, meditate, pray, you can. If you want to come and leave, you can. If you don't want to come, you can. But room will be open and we will be, uh, we will be here for an evening of meditation and music and communion on Good Friday. Two services on Easter. We are asking you, if you would, to work one, serve one. No, work one, serve one. That means you work two, right? Wrong. That you attend one and serve one. We, with all of the uh, uh, publicity that we're trying to get out in the community to invite people here, we're hoping to have a full house in both service, so we'll need extra greeters and parking lot people and people in classes and all that kind of stuff. So we'd appreciate you doing that. And as always, we want First Baptist to be a place where people find Jesus and give Jesus away. And part of finding Jesus is for people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. So I would ask you this morning as we begin our worship service that you would pray that God would stir someone's heart this morning. That for the first time in their life they would understand Jesus and who he is and how he sets them free, forgives them of sin. And remember that for ourselves so that we can go this week and give Jesus to our community. Join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for a beautiful, beautiful day. Lord, we thank you. This, this, is, this is stereotypical spring. This is, <clears throat> this is what we, we long for over the long winter. There's a beautiful, clear blue sky and the birds singing and the temperature just right. And Lord, we get to come to church on a day like today where we get to worship the most wonderful Savior where we get to bow down before the most gracious Lord who created this for our enjoyment. And we thank you, Father. I pray that there'd be many people in church today that, that the cares of the week would melt away as they remember the peace and the love that you want to give to each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that right now you would begin establishing in someone's heart for the first time that you our Lord, and that you're not mad at them, but that you want them to come home where they belong. We thank you for this opportunity. We pray, Lord, for the music this morning. We pray for the sermon this morning. We pray as we stand before you that you would be glorified in what we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, in case, uh, in case a number of you have the same life experience that I have, I have a little video for you this morning. It's very important that you understand the topic that we're going to talk about, so if y'all are ready, let's let her fly.
Okay, so how many of you raise sheep? Anybody? There's one. Anybody else raise sheep? Yeah, see, you all come from the same place I do. The, the, I enjoyed going through the uh, uh, animal exhibits down at the Georgia State Fair. I enjoyed going to the petting zoo with the kids and pet sheep, but I've never really raised sheep, don't know how they really act. Or, so I just thought it would be sort of neat since we're going to be talking about sheep today, and we're called sheep, Jesus came for the sheep, and that's us, that we might see just a little bit of how sheep live and operate, and it might give us just a little bit of an idea of what the man's talking about, sheeps, sheeps, sheep shepherds that's where we're going this morning the scripture is John chapter 10 John chapter 10 and we're gonna we're actually gonna read 21 verses now y'all may have noticed something we're taking big chunks of scripture I was actually trained you may not believe this 
Uh, but I was actually trained to leave a little bit on the table. It may not seem like it, but I don't preach every point in everything every week. We can come back and do some of this stuff again. Yeah, it's sort of hard to believe when the sermon lasts forever. But there's one point in here that we really, really want to get to today. If you're all ready, here we go. I'm reading for the Christian Standard Bible. It says, truly I tell you, Jesus is speaking. Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some of the way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You remember the black sheep that the girl called and it just comes running over and she giggles as the sheep runs up there? Y'all saw that? When he has brought all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of his words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you people listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, the thing we have to remember for this story, we have to remember last week. Have to remember what we talked about last week because that story and this story run right in here together. Now, last week we talked about a guy that had been born blind. Jesus' disciples, Jesus walking out of the temple. They walk by this guy. The, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? Y'all remember when we talked about last week is that we said that they believed that you could sin in the womb and you could be punished for that sin. Anything that they designated as a bad thing had to have been punishment from God. And so this guy had a bad thing. He was born blind. He never saw his mama, never saw his daddy, didn't see. You know, I got to thinking when you're, when you're blind, you don't know what you're eating, whatever someone sets in front of you, what you drink. You don't know if it's clean or not. You can't see. He could not see anything. And Jesus says, nobody sinned. 
He said the sole reason for this guy's blindness was so Jesus could heal him and everybody would know that Jesus is the Savior. They'd see the mercy and the glory of God. Now, here's how they'll know. Here's how they know. It's very, very plain. There was, there's the, it's very plain how they should know that this man is the Messiah, is the Savior. Way back in the Old Testament, there's a book called Isaiah. Isaiah was prophet. He warned Israel. He says, if you don't return to God, then Assyria is going to overrun you guys. They didn't return to God. Syria did exactly what Isaiah said they were going to do. So it has a historical level to the story. But one of the things about the Old Testament, one of the things about the Old Testament, and I've got running through my head, this is an interesting morning because running through my head is, Randy, they know all this. They know all this. Yeah, I knew all this too until I got Mitch Mayer's study that Berta Hartzell turned me on to. And all of a sudden, it's like it become new again. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it was history. And in other books, it's history and history. And everything is written on this level that it has the meaning that fit in for that day. But in every one of the books, the Old Testament covers 1,400 years of history. And in the 39 books of the Old Testament, authored by at least 39 different people, in 39 geographical locations, in 39 socioeconomic different situations, in all of those 39 stories, there's one theme that runs all the time. You've got the actual application of the Scripture, the historicity of the Scripture, but then on top of that, there's this other layer that's in everything, all 39 books from Genesis to Malachi, all the way through it, there's this idea running through there that someone's coming. And if it covers 1,400 years and all these different people talked about it, when this person comes, it is going to be a big old stinking deal. He's got to be important. He obviously is going to turn the world upside down when he shows up because we've been talking about him for 1,400 years. And see, Isaiah, when you go to the book of Isaiah and you look in Isaiah 35 verses 4 and 5, It states very plainly that when this occurs, you know he's here. So you've got 1,400 years of someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming, and now with Jesus we say he's here. How do we know he's here? Isaiah 35 says this, Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. Vengeance is coming Uh, vengeance is coming God's retribution is coming he will save you then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped the eyes of the blind will be opened and that's what these people have just witnessed that's what they've just seen a man who was blind from the moment he exited his mama's womb the first time his mama held that baby up to her up to her chest he could not see her he could not see his daddy he didn't see anybody ever from the minute of his birth and now Jesus comes on the scene and he touches this guy's eyes and he could see and and the historical evidence right now says to us Isaiah says way back in time when you see this he's here and now we see it he's here We know. We don't have to guess. It's simple. 
End of the story. Let's all go home. We got this thing. But see, they wouldn't let it be that simple. There was a lot to argue about. If he's truly here, this is so church. This is so church. If he's truly here, he will act like us. If he's truly here, he will do the rules that we have laid out. If he's truly here, we can guarantee that he will never heal anybody on the Sabbath day because that's work and we say that nobody should ever work on the Sabbath day. No one should ever do anything. You can do anything. What is the one thing a good Baptist can never do on Sunday? Say it out loud. Cut grass. That's right. You can do anything else. You can go to X-rated movies. You can go somewhere, have dinner and have a drink. You can cuss. You can do anything in the whole wide world. But if you cut grass, you're going to hell. You will burn in a special place in the abyss. My mother taught me that. You can't cut grass on Sunday. You will die. God will strike you with lightning from above. It's over. We have our rules. They had their rules. And the crazy thing about their rules is, is they thought that God would follow their rules. They missed Psalm 135. Psalm 135 says this, The Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. He does whatever he pleases. So when we're sitting down here going, that's not fair, and how could a good God let these things happen, we're seeing them through these little bitty tiny finite eyes that doesn't understand the whole picture. He sees everything. He's going to do what he pleases because he's got a plan, and his plan is for his glory and our benefit. He's going to do whatever he wants to. But they thought, well, he's, he's got to follow the rules. So then we get to John 10. Truly, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all, when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Why in the world do you think Jesus used two words here, other than the fact that it's got sort of a mellifluous quality to it? Why did he use two words for someone who steals other people's property? Why did he use both the word thief and a robber? Y'all know what a thief is? I was in high school. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was in college. And in college, a bunch of us were sitting around, and we were talking about high school, and we were talking about a high school ring. High school rings are the most overrated piece of jewelry on the face of this planet because you spend a ton of money for a high school ring, and then you graduate, and you put it in a drawer, and you never wear it again. That's just what you do. Because once you get through with high school, I'm through. I'm in college now. I'm somebody. I'm not going to brag about my high school. That's so, pfft. no, I'm in college. 
So when I went to college, I put my high school ring in a place where I knew it would be because it was a pretty ring and it was huge and it cost mom a lot of money. So there it is and I put it up. So we were all sitting about talking about our high school and our high school rings and all this stuff. And I decided that I was going to go see my high school ring. I hadn't seen it in forever. I'm just going to look at it again, you know, old time's sake and all that kind of stuff. And I go to where the ring is supposed to be and there is no ring there. And I thought, well, maybe I dropped it somewhere or I put it somewhere. And I searched and scoured and looked all over the place to find that ring. And that ring is gone. See, a thief steals from you without you knowing it. Leads you astray. Maybe it's a con man. Maybe it's somebody that just walks in and takes your stuff. I almost want to ask you to raise your hand to see how many of you have the same experience as me that have had your credit card compromised. You know, isn't that a wonderful thing when you get somebody to call that calls on your telephone or now they text and they'll text you and say, did you make a charge in Shanghai? And you go, well, actually, no, I didn't. Well, there you go. You have to get a new credit card. And if you want to get your kids, and this is an aside, if you want to get your kids who are in college to call you real quick, just text them and say, do not use the credit card anymore. Boom, they're on the phone in five minutes. They may not call you for a week, but when that credit card goes out of business, boom, they're calling. That's a thief. A thief is the one who just steals it quietly and is gone. They want your stuff and they're going to take it somewhere else. A robber is a different thing altogether. A robber takes your stuff by violence. A robber sticks a gun in your gut and says your money or your life. Robber Robbers use violence to get what they want. They don't care about you. They don't care if you live or die. They have no concern for you whatsoever. They simply want your stuff. It's all about the robber. And in fact, for thieves and robbers, it's the same thing. It's all about them. And the people that Jesus is calling thieves and robbers here, the people that he's calling thieves and robbers are these religious leaders. He's calling them thieves and robbers. Sometimes they steal what they're after quietly. Sometimes they do it by force. And what is it that they're stealing? What they're stealing on one level is they're stealing God's people away from God, leading them toward themselves. But what they're really stealing, and this is the point that I want us to really hang in here with this morning, the thing that they're really stealing is life. They're stealing your life. They're stealing these people's lives away. They're stealing their joy and their contentment and their freedom. The things that we all crave, these religious leaders want to control. And I have to fight right here because I really want to go on a tangent. Every time I've reread this, I want to jump on this tangent. So I'm going to throw the tangent out and then I'm going to move back real quick. I want you to think, without getting political, I want you to think of all of the people in this world that want to control us. They want us to act the way they want us to act and do the things that they want us to do. What are they stealing? They're stealing your life. They're taking away your freedom, your contentment, your joy. They are stealing the life that God wants you to have. That's why we have to listen to everybody, not just political leaders. You listen to everybody that you listen to on television, on radio, any preacher you listen to, any book that you read from anybody, 
you make sure you measure that up against Scripture. And you make sure you measure it up tightly against Scripture. And make sure that they're not deviating just a little bit to steal you away. Because there's a lot of people that don't want us to follow him. So now we're going to jump ahead just a little bit. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, a thief comes only to steal kill and destroy I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance they came to steal kill and destroy life and its abundance do you understand the irony of the story that we talked about last week there here is this guy that has been blind from birth and the minute he is healed the church leaders excommunicate the guy make him an outcast in the community he can't beg anymore because now he's an able-bodied man, but now he can't work, he can't worship, he can't hang out with anybody because if he hangs out with them, now they get excommunicated. They don't want to have anything to do with him. They were not concerned with his life. They didn't care about him. They cared about their power. They cared about making sure that everybody towed the line that did what they said they were supposed to do. They weren't concerned. Now, with that as the backdrop, do you remember the video about the sheep? You remember the video about the sheep? How hard were those sheep working? You see anybody there fretting about their next career move? How hard were they working? These sheep, do you notice that when they were called, they came? I just love that little girl's laugh when that little sheep comes bounding up. <laughs> when it gets up, it's as cute as it can be. Little sheep, she called his name. Little lambs, those guys ate, the only word I could come up with is they ate lustily. When they were, they were eating like Baptist at a covered dish. They were eating like a senior adult group that's just gone up to Buckner's. I'm telling you, these guys were tearing it up. They were working on those bottles to get every last drop. They played. They weren't worried. They didn't fret. They didn't make any crazy demands of the shepherd. They lived their lives in peace and joy and contentment. They knew they were protected. They had fences around them that kept them from going astray. They had boundaries that they knew not to go past. They knew that nothing could invade those boundaries. They knew that they were safe. They knew they had a shepherd that was watching them, make sure their knees were net. And when the shepherd opened the upstairs window and went, bah, it looked back at him and went, bah, right back. Wasn't that cool? This is what the sheep do. Why does Jesus use that imagery? Why does he use that imagery? Why do we hear Jesus saying this? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than them? Peter would say no, but Jesus says yes. Jesus says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Do, do you think that God's objective for our lives 
is for us to realize that in Jesus we are free from worry, that we don't worry about sin, that we are free to be joyful, that we're free to be content, that we're free to live simply and abundantly. That's attractive to me. I hope that's attractive to you. As I read through these stories in the scripture, I, I feel a sense of, of, of guilt and remorse for all the years that I worked in, a, in, in well, everywhere. I was, when I was a pastor and when I was, when I was at at and in Bell South, all of the years that I worked, I was always looking for the next thing. Always looking for the next place to go, the next break, the next thing to go to, the next place to move one more step, to do this one more time. And I look back on all of that and I think, how ridiculous was that? Nine times out of ten, the thing I was aiming for wasn't the thing I got to anyway. Something else came up and the few times that I did get what I was after, they were disasters. Enjoy the moment. Live today. Take a deep breath. I think that's what he's saying. I think that's exactly what he's saying here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Literal word order. I am the shepherd, the good one, he says. Now, how do we know he's the good one? He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I know that many of you have heard this a million times over your life. I want you to listen to it because there's a little bit of difference here that, that meant something to me. The English word good here, there is no other word to translate what was here, but that is such a weak translation. We don't have a word that encapsulates all of this. The word good here carries the idea not only of goodness, but of excellence and beauty. And I can't describe that meaning to you. The only way I can do that is to give you a picture of what happened to me once that brought me to the understand that kind of a thing. And I hope that maybe it will remind you of something that gets you to the same place. My Anna spent a summer at the Brevard Music Center in Brevard, North Carolina. Maybe y'all know about the place. Brevard's beautiful. They've got a, a music center. They do a festival for students every year, and Anna got a chance to go. She played. We went up there. The way I, I know what this looked like is we went up there to hear her play. She played Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is one of my favorite songs, and she was dynamite. I'll tell you all about it one day, and I've got the recording if you ever want to hear it, just in case. It was really, really good. But anyway, we go up there, and I get to experience this place, and then when I get home, she sends me a recording of all of the music that they did that year, and there was one song on there that just knocked me down. It was the theme song from the village. It was written by... James Newton Howard. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Work hard with me here. Imagine that you're, it's a summer evening, 
And you go to this venue, and there's this gigantic pavilion that about 500 people can sit under. It's open air all the way around it on three sides. The only place that's enclosed is where the stage is in the front. And it's got stadium seating all the way through it. And you're sitting there, and you're sitting there, and it's evening, and the sun is going down, and you're in the mountains. And the forest surrounds you all the way around. And as you're sitting there in the summertime, it's a little warm, but there's a typical little summer breeze blowing down, and it blows through that venue that you're sitting in, right under that pavilion, a little breeze is blowing. And there's an orchestra playing, and they're playing this, part, this song, The Village, and it's got the most beautiful violin solo I have ever heard in my life. It's haunting. And as, as that wind blows through and they're finishing up the end of this thing, the song goes to such a point that you're not sure if you're hearing the, so the violin or if you're hearing the wind. You're just not certain. And then it stops. And on that recording, for a full second, nobody breathed. Have you ever been there? We've had a couple of moments here. We've had some moments where the piano would stop and we didn't move. We didn't amen, we didn't breathe, we didn't clap, we didn't do anything because we were transported to a most beautiful place that we didn't want it to go away. And that's what that moment was for me. And I hope that that reminds you of something. I hope you've had something in your life where that moment took your breath away. That's what the word good means here. It means that the shepherd is so good that, that when you are near him, around him, you are breathless. You are craving more. You are so grateful for that moment. And you never want that moment to go away. You want, that, you want to be captivated by that moment forever. You want it to hang on to you, to hold you. You don't want anybody to speak to you. You, that's the good in this good shepherd. Now, I want to challenge your thinking a little bit more. That is Jesus. That's your good shepherd that is that way, that as moved as you have ever been in your life, that's the word they're using for him here. And now let's, change, let's challenge your thinking just a little bit more here. He lays down his life for his sheep. Now, I know a couple of you have relatives, have grandkids or kids whose name is Zoe. Zoe is one of the two Greek words and one Hebrew word that I remember from seminary. I studied for years and years and years, and I can remember three words. I remember melek in uh, Hebrew. Melek means king. You know how I remember that? It is spelled M-L-K. Who is M-L-K? Martin Luther King. Okay, I can remember that word. I can remember how to say I say. You know how I know, remember how to say I say? Because the word is lego. Let go, I say. Let go. Yeah, that's what we did in Greek class, and that's stuck in my head now for 40 years. And then the last word is zoe. It means throat, life, or self. 
Throat, I thought, that's weird. Throat, life, or self? Yeah, cut somebody's throat, how long do they live? That's the whole idea behind it. Throat, life, or self. It talks about your physical life. So if you know somebody named Zoe, that word means, Zoe, means life. That's not the word that's used here. Jesus didn't lay down his physical life for us. He laid down his suke, his spirit, his being. There's a huge difference. He didn't lay down his body for us. He laid down his being for us. The good shepherd doesn't just die to keep his sheep safe. The good shepherd lays down his full existence. I want you to remember that Jesus died for the sins of the sheep. And the wages of sin is death, right? So when Jesus died, had God not been faithful and raised Jesus from the dead, Scripture talks about that, then Jesus would have remained dead. His existence, his existence could have been removed. Now, it was never in jeopardy because God's, in, God's faithful and he came at God's command. That's what the Scripture says. But at the same time, he laid down his being for us. Now, why would he go to that extreme? Would you lay down your life? Okay, you die for someone. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Would you die for them if you knew that you wouldn't? That for eternity you would be eternally dying see it brings a whole new thing to it in my mind there's it is so extreme and why would he do that why would he do that go back to the birds and the flowers and the sheep Jesus wants his sheep to have complete full peaceful contented joy-filled lives these things are states of being they're not created by external example a new wife a new car a new husband a new promotion a new job a new house a home run a no hitter a double play those things will make you happy for a minute but they don't fill the hole that we've got in our gut you cannot turn enough double plays to make yourself not be lonely you can't do it And for everybody that struggles so hard in sports, read on the Jones County thing the other day, somebody fussing because of the three-year-olds that were playing. And I'm thinking, and I don't mean to be insulting, but I was thinking to myself, why is your three-year-old on the field? Do you not understand that when he's 35, he'll be too old to play? He will be an old man at 35 years old. For heaven's sakes. Our lives are one giant continual struggle because we fail to grasp that God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were a slave on the auction block, a prostitute in a brothel, a drunk in a bar, a child who never does wrong, who makes the best grades, who works as hard as they can all of the time just so somebody, anybody, maybe will tell them that they're good enough because in their hearts of hearts, they think they're not. And Jesus says to all of us, 
Listen, my child. I've known you from the beginning of time. I've know, I know everything. I knew everything you would do before I created you. Everything you think is horrible about yourself, your crooked teeth, your mousy hair, the fact that your body doesn't look right, that your foul mouth, your horrible temper, your lust, your greed, your anger, your hatred, everything, I knew it all before you were born and I created you anyway. Because I love you and I am not mad at you. I want you to come home where you belong. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. I know you. Come home. Pray with me. Breathtaking Heavenly Father. There are so many here that need rest. So many struggles wrestle in our mind for attention. So many things capture, captivate, stress us. We have so much that your still small voice gets drowned out in the raucous noise of our life. Father, we surrender. Do what you must to cause us to hear. Do what you must to wrestle these hyperactive children that we are. Wrestle us into your arms to quiet us and let us see that your desire is for us to be sheep of your pasture, birds of your air, flowers in your field, at peace, full of joy and contentment. Father, we, we repent of our insatiable desire for more and more and we cry out today, this moment, for peace. And my Father, I pray for these, your people, that your Holy Spirit would in this moment reveal the peace that is Jesus to every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open. Come if you want to make special prayer. Come if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior for the first time. If you want to join First Baptist, come. But as we sing right now, won't you come? Please stand.